Well, we continue uh, today with our uh, summer sermon series on uh, the characteristics of God. God is. Last week we talked about God is sovereign, that He is the one true God. Uh, He is independent of any other force. He does what He wants to. What He wills to take place will take place. Uh, He knows the uh, end from the beginning. And uh, He is the sovereign God, the only true God. And that laid the foundation for the rest of all these sermons that we will go through. And I'm not sure how many we will do. But today we're going to talk about the fact that God is good. God is good. And I know that for some of us going through uh, some things in the life of this church, and I've thought about all the way back to the last year, there might be some difficulties that you might be having in believing that God is good because of the things that have happened to you in the family, health issues, job, uh, you know, all those kinds of spiritual life. All those things have been challenged with some things. But I'm hoping that today we'll come to a better understanding uh, about how we understand the goodness of God, even in the midst of all the things that we say are not good, the bad things that take place with us. Uh, uh, as Cookie, my wife, recuperates from uh, hip surgery, I've been blessed with the fact that uh, this past week, Emily Ann, our daughter, was in, and uh, her three children, and um, helped take care of Cookie, and then that Laura Beth, now the older daughter, and her children have come in. And uh, over the weekend, we were all together to celebrate three birthdays. But having the, the younger children around the dinner table, I've discovered has been a place of profound theology. Just to hear them uh, offer the blessing or give thanks or talk to God uh, uh, and give Him thanks for the meal. Their favorite prayer uh, that they learned in preschool here and uh, in Lexington uh, goes like this. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, once again, once again, we will ask your blessings. We will ask your blessings. Amen. Amen. Now, they sing it, so I wasn't going to sing it for you. And they do a better job than I would do, okay? Now, um, as children, uh, they, uh, they will learn these kinds of their prayers, something like that in the house. But I remember as a teenager growing up, and I never did this, and I'm honest in saying this, I never did this. I never made fun of the prayer at the table and, and, and came up with a little rhyme. Now, I heard them at the house of friends when I would eat with them, but... My mother and grandmother were like Puritans, man. When it came to that, I was scared to death. I would, I would be considered a blasphemer if I did this. But I remember at somebody's house, they, they gave a prayer and said this, Good bread, good meat, good Lord, let's eat. Or another one that said, uh, In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, the one that eats the fastest gets the most. Okay? But this was, this was the most original, and I could join in on this one. It says, Thank you, Lord, for this meal. We know you are the giver. But thank you, Lord, most of all, that we ain't having liver. (laughs) Now, you have to decide whether that's blasphemous or whether that's sound theology and that's truly gratitude to God. But most of us might have grown up with this prayer. This is what I think about with the prayer uh, when we sit at the table. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Most of you knew that one? You've heard that one? Okay. Now... There is a theological challenge in that prayer. At the same time, it's good theology. It's sound. It's solid. It's simple prayer. It's not very long, is it? You can say that prayer, and when you get through, the potatoes are still warm, right? Now, at our house, we, uh, we have a, what's called a hot food prayer and a cold food prayer. If we've got you know, salads and cold plates and those kinds of things with four pastors in the family when we all get together... Uh, anybody can pray. But when we have hot food and we want it to stay hot, we always call on Andrew because he can say it in about six or seven words and we're done and we're ready to eat and everything is still warm. 
But now when we say God is great and God is good, let us thank him for our food. That's, that's good sound theology. And the food stays warm. But there's a phrase in there I want to ask you about. Do you really believe that phrase that says God is good? Now, I mean truly, do you really believe? You think about your life over the last year. Think about the things you've seen in the world. Think about things going on in your family. Think about things that are going on in our nation. Uh, there's some times of calamity. There's been some downsizing at companies, all these kinds of things. In the midst of all of that, do you really believe that God is good? Amen. Okay. Now, sitting here in church, it's easy to say that, isn't it? Because that's the answer we're supposed to give. But what about in the reality of life when things aren't going well, when we're suffering, when we're going through a time of pain uh, or difficulty or trial? Then it becomes more of a challenging question to ask, do you really believe that God is good? See, sometimes I think we wonder, well, if God is good, then why is this going on in my life? Why this illness? Why this painful relationship? Uh, Why this financial problem? Why this death? And why this disappointment? And so I think that's where we really need to look today at the characteristic of God that says God is good. And come to some understanding, first with a theological foundation, and then secondly with the implications about what it means for for us to know that God is good and to affirm that. Many different places in the Bible I could go uh, to give you a foundational passage of Scripture about the goodness of God. But I just want us to look at Psalm 145. And I started to cut it off after verse 9. And then as I kept reading, I thought, no, you know, this is where... Uh, David not only affirms that God is good and the goodness of God, but then he gives thanks about uh, the various things that God has done that show his goodness. So listen to Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. Uh, They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. You might want to mark that verse. That's a key verse. The Lord is good to all. Let me pick back up in verse 10. All you have made will praise you, O Lord. Your saints will extol you. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all His promises and loving toward all He has made. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who will bow down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and loving toward all He has made. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. 
My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Now we know that, that David uh, just uh, speaks from his heart when he writes these psalms. And oftentimes he talks about the struggles and the pain and the trials and the difficulties that he's had in life. But David also knew that he had been blessed and the hand of God upon him was a good hand, a gracious hand. And he, that, that's what he really is sounding forth in this Psalm 145. He's praising God for his mighty acts and the everlasting kingdom and the acts of deliverance that are revealed in the fact that God is good. And you see, I think in verse 7, the key to that, that he says, they will celebrate, that is your, your wonderful works, uh, your abundant goodness. It's an abundant goodness of God. Not just that he's good, but abundant goodness. And then in verse 9 he says, the Lord is good to all, and to all he shows his compassion. So we come to affirm that God is good. And there are just simply two points to make today. The first is this, the goodness of God is affirmed in the Bible, in the Scriptures. You know, David does that here, verse 7, verse 9. He talks about the greatness of God's goodness. But let me just share with you a few other verses. Psalm 31, verse 19 How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. Psalm 86, 5, for you are forgiving and good, O Lord, abounding in love to all who call upon you. Psalm 100, verse 5, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And then the prophet Nahum, probably haven't read much lately from Nahum, have you? And chapter 1, verse 7 says, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of troubles. He cares for those who trust in Him. Now, that's not an exhaustive list of Scripture that, that will tell us about and affirm the goodness of God. But it shows that they're all throughout the Bible an affirmation from the Word of God about the goodness of God. Now, Here's the things I want us to understand. And they build three things to say in this one point. But they build on each other to help us understand the fact that God is good. Even when we look around us and we see what God has allowed to come into our life. The first is this. God sets the standard of goodness. See, God is the one who says what is good and what is right. He created everything and then he looked at it and he said that it was all good. And the reason that God sets the standard is is because we wouldn't be able to agree upon that. So we would have an argument going probably all the time about what's good, better, and best about all different kinds of areas and things in life. Like take desserts, for example. What's best or better? What's good? Apple pie or cherry pie? Or maybe you like blueberries. I like blueberry pie. But this season of the year getting ready for fresh peaches? Oh, a peach cobbler sounds great to me. So, what's the best? What's good out of all that? See, we couldn't agree upon that. Got diverse taste. Oh, and let me throw this in. While you're thinking about, is God good? Think about this. Our body has to have food to sustain our body and to nourish us. Now, God could get, make it liver and onions and uh, Brussels sprouts all the time, and that's all he gave us. But look at all the wonderful, delicious nutritious food that God gives to us if we just don't overindulge. See, that's goodness from God, okay? Now, let's look at some other areas of life. Um, Take from the sporting world. I think last week when Tiger Woods won the memorial, he tied Jack Nicholas for the number of career golf wins. So, who's the better player? 
Tiger Woods or Jack Nicklaus? Who sets the standard for goodness in golf? Now, what about basketball? The pro playoffs are going on now. Uh, I really don't care now because my only team that I care anything about in the NBA are San Antonio Spurs, and they lost to uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. But now the question would be when you look at those two teams, who's good or the gooder, the best? Is it Kevin Durant or LeBron James? Because the Magic beat the Celtics, I think, last night to advance to the championship. You see, we could never solve that issue. We never agree on goodness. So God sets the standard for goodness, and his goodness is unique. And the message of the Bible is about God's goodness. And it even has a deeper meaning than that because the word good comes from the word God. And in its original definition, goodness meant godliness. And I think in societies in the past, by and large, always would look to God's goodness as the standard of goodness, and they would know to be blessed in life and to raise a family that would be blessed in life and, and to live a personal life to be blessed in life and know the goodness of God was to affirm the goodness of God and use that as the standard for their life. I think the culture in which we're living today, maybe the last two generations, have almost completely abandoned the standard of God's goodness. And we have taken other things as a standard of goodness, and we've forgotten what it looks like. It looks like God, when you really understand goodness. You remember in the Gospel, in the gospel of Luke, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and had a serious question he really wanted to ask? And he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was a profound question. But he prefaced it by saying, good teacher. And Jesus, before he answered the question, said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You see, Jesus knew that this young man needed a lesson in theology and that God and God alone was good. Now, there's another side of that you can argue and say theologically, well, isn't Jesus God in the flesh? So, indeed, he was good. But you see, God was want, Jesus was wanting to give all the glory to God, for God to get all the glory for that goodness. And so that was his affirmation of that. So when we come and look at our life to understand the fact that God is good and how do we understand that, interpret that in our life, is this. We, we evaluate God and what he's doing in our life by the standards that we have set. And, and we come by our standards in various ways. It's what we grew up with. It's what we studied in school. Maybe it was one particular course in college. Maybe it was the influence of a particular professor. Or maybe it's your favorite political commentator. And somehow you take all of those things and you make your standard of goodness. And you judge God by that. And you would say, if God was good, he wouldn't do this. And if God was good, he wouldn't do that. And that's where we err. Because only God is good and God sets the standard for goodness. He, he thinks differently than we do. We have to understand that. His goodness is unique because in Isaiah 55, he says, My thoughts are not your ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we can't set the standard for goodness because God is a greater being. He knows all things, has all power, is in all places. And so God is the one against whom the measure of goodness is measured. Put it simply, God is good because he says so. Now, that means we have a problem. You and I together. Everybody else in the world has a problem. The problem stems from the fact that we think we're pretty good, don't we? 
But what's our measure of goodness? It's people down the street. It's your co-worker in the next cubicle, the next office. Uh, people in your carpool. Might be uh, people in your family. Might be people you're sitting beside right there on the row here on one of these pews. So the issue is when we come to think about our goodness, we don't compare it to God. We compare it to somebody else. And we say something like this, I'm good because I could have been worse. (laughs) And that's probably true. Or we say, I'm good because some people are worse. And I'm good because I can get other people feeling good about me or thinking I'm good. And that's not the same as really being good, is it? So we need to compare ourselves to God. And when we do, we find our problem is a problem of sin and our shortcoming against the goodness of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, which means nobody measures up to the standard of God's goodness. I might be good some of the time, but not all the time. All of us might be good some of the time, but not all of the time. In fact, when you measure your goodness against God, here's a graphic picture of what God says in Isaiah 64, 6 in the New Living Translation. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we proudly display our righteous deeds, we find they are but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins, like the wind, Sweep us away. To you and I have a goodness problem. God's good, we're not. The problem is sin. And the only cure is for the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. But here's a display of God's goodness. In His goodness, He has made provision for us to have the goodness and righteousness of Jesus Christ transferred to our life so we can have a relationship with God. I love what Paul says. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see what God has done? He took all of our sin and he transferred it onto Jesus. On the cross Jesus became sin on our behalf. And now what God does is he looks through the righteousness of Jesus and that's what he sees us. That's how he sees us as being righteous in his sight. And that's how we have that relationship with God. So the standard of, me- of goodness is measured by God. He sets the standard for goodness, all right? That's the foundation. Now, we build upon that foundation with a second principle, and it's this. Everything God is and does is good. Now, that just might challenge where you are today. You know, that's a new catchphrase that people ask, are you in a good place? Somebody asked me that the other day in a conversation and said, are you in a good place? And I looked all around and I said, well, you're here, you and I are here in the same place. It must be a pretty good place. But, but uh, have you heard that statement? You know, me ask, uh, are you in a good place? You know, that's asking about, are you in a good place in your life with what's going on in your life? See, if you're not in a good place in your life right now to hear me say that everything God is and everything that God does is good might go against your fault. It, it, it might be a great challenge to your faith. Let me tell you what Job says in Job 34. Far be it from God to do evil, from the Almighty to do wrong. It is unthinkable that God would do wrong, that the Almighty would pervert justice. You see, it says right there that God is not going to do anything wrong. That's why last week we started building the whole foundation for understanding God on the fact that God is sovereign and He does what He wants to do. 
whether you want him to or not. But at the same time, you understand that God has a plan to bless you with all the things that he does do and that he brings into your life. So the Bible says that God always does what is right. Put a period right there. That's the end of it. Now sometimes we have ideas like this because we have a high opinion of ourselves of what we deserve. And see, we deserve that we, we think we deserve good health. And when the doctor calls and says, I need you to come back in for another test, or the doctor calls and says, the biopsy was positive, you know, we think God's made a mistake. See, we like to believe that we deserve uh, to be treated fairly and rightly in this world. And when something goes wrong where we are degraded and where we are not treated rightly, somehow we think God's lost his sense of goodness. So we believe that we deserve financial security and prosperity. And when the company downsizes and we get a, a diminished paycheck, or worst of all, we get a pink slip, we think somehow that God has slipped up. We think we deserve a trouble-free life. After all, we've given our lives to God through faith in Jesus Christ, and he took all of our sins. We think that we should live a trouble-free life. And when troubles and disappointment and pain and sorrow come into our life, Maybe we think God's not as good as the Bible says he is. So how do we understand and accept the goodness of God? Well, see, the Bible defines God's goodness in two ways. One has to do with his character, and the other has to do with his actions. And Psalm 119, verse 68, I think, captures both of these when the psalmist says of God, you are good and you do what is good. See, the first half of that verse affirms the character and nature of God that says you are good. And the second one, thank goodness, says that you are good because of what you do. Because what you do is good. See, God is just good naturally. That's who he is. That's his, that's his characteristic. That's his nature. And then that's fleshed out in his life and his relationship with us because what he does is good. See, there is no point of evil in God. Not even a hint of darkness about that in God. Psalm 2510 is something maybe you might want to write down, look in your Bible and underline it. I think it's a place that uh, you, can, you can hang your faith upon in the difficult times. And it's meant a great deal to me. Psalm 2510 says, All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. You see, I believe that one verse of Scripture will do one of two things. It will either challenge your faith or it will increase your faith in the goodness of God. Can you believe that? All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. David affirmed that in Psalm 145. We already looked at verse 7. And then verse 9, he says, The Lord is good to all. He has, he has compassion on all who he has made. Who does David say God is good to? All. Does that include you? Absolutely. Includes me and you and everybody. That the Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. So the foundation is, continues to be built in the fact that everything God does and, and everything that he is, is good. Now here's the third point then where it comes to this more solid foundation. We build upon it. To get to the deeper issue here. And that says that God's goodness overcomes the bad in our world. You don't have to look very far 
Some of you have already been talking to me this morning about uh, things that are on television and in the newspaper about tragedies and all these kinds of things and things are going on in your family and in your life. There are a lot of negatives in the world. And we might ask when we look at those negatives, if God is so good, why is there so much bad in the world? If there's so much bad in my life, where's the goodness of God? Well, you're not the first person to ask that, and you won't be the last. Many, many years ago, Epicurus, about 306 B.C., raised the question like that by saying this. And you've got to listen to follow this. It's a pretty lengthy quote. But this is what he says. He says, either God wants to abolish evil and cannot, or he can but does not want to, or he cannot and does not want to. If he wants to but cannot, he is impotent. If he can and does not want to, he is wicked. But if God both can and wants to abolish evil, then how does evil come into the world? That's a good theological question. St. Augustine years later put it simpler when he asked, If there is no God, why is there so much good? We usually don't ask it that way, do we? If there is no God, then why is there so much good? And then he turned it around and he said, If there is a God, why is there so much evil? That's the one we deal with more often than not, isn't it? Where did sin come from? Where did evil come from? God allowed us to sin and bring it into the world in the Garden of Eden. He gave Adam and Eve a choice, even in paradise, and they chose sin. But you have to remember that God sent Jesus to defeat sin, and Jesus took our judgment for our sins. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what does it mean for us to believe in and trust in God's goodness? Well, it means that when things happen to us that are painful, unhappy, confusing, when unwelcome events disrupt our lives, when uh, we receive them as coming from a good God, then we have to affirm the fact that God loves us and He cares for us and He knows what is best for us and He is going to take all things He promises and work them for His good in our lives and for his glory we hinted at that last week in talking about the sovereignty of God and what he allows to come into our life and why about Romans eight twenty eight that says and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose see we know that all things aren't good you know we know that things aren't always good when they come into our life But we think that God's blessings are supposed to be in terms of good health and money and prosperity. But God's idea of good is preparing us for eternity. And that goes much deeper than our thought about good. See, God's goodness is a way of blessing us spiritually. And God is primarily concerned about our salvation and our spiritual growth. He's concerned about making us more like the character of Jesus Christ, His Son. And so God has to think what's best for us. And he has an eternal perspective. And so not all things are good. Disease isn't good. Suffering isn't good. Being hurt or mistreated isn't good. But the promise of God is that he can take all of these things and bring goodness about in our life. 
And so that's what we affirm about the goodness of God. And so we laid that foundation that, that he is the standard of measure of goodness and everything God does and is is good and that God is a loving God who takes everything in our life and works it for good. Now with that being said of the affirmation of God's goodness, how do we apply that to our life? How, how can we live as people understanding, celebrating, and reflecting upon the, the goodness of God in our life? Let me give you four suggestions, and we'll do it re- rather quickly. First of all, re- learn to rejoice in the blessings of God. See, when the blessings of God come, we, we usually just take them for granted, and we really don't thank Him. The blessings of God are given from the hand of a loving God. And so a great passage of Scripture could be found in these three that I share with you. Uh, 1 Chronicles 16, 34 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Sampling, he says, and see that God is good. And Psalm 100 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love is eternal and his faithfulness endures to all generations. Do you remember back in the Old Testament in Exodus when Moses is at a point in his life that he needs a greater affirmation from God? And God said, uh, Moses says to God, Please show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me as much of you as I can stand, Lord. In Exodus 33, verses 19 through 20, God's response is this. He says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim the name Yahweh before you. Isn't that interesting? Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. And what does God say? I'm going to show you my goodness. And what happened to Moses? He came down off the mountain and his face was absolutely glowing because the goodness of God had passed in front of him. Every one of us in this room has had to deal with some kind of failure, frustration, disappointment, heartache, sorrow, pain of some sort in this world, right? But every one of us in this room has been blessed abundantly, right? So learn to give thanks to God because of that. Second thing I would encourage you to do is to repent of unbelief and ingratitude. Why do we need to stress God's goodness? It's because we tend to focus on the negative. That gets bigger and bigger, and the goodness just continues to diminish. So why do we experience bad things? Well, sometimes it's the only way God can get our attention. You see, in good times, we basically ignore Him. In bad times, we cry for Him. We long for Him. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 2, 4. He says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? You see, God bestows blessings and goodness upon us so that we will know that he is a good God, that he is good and good alone, and that he gives good things to us because he wants us to come to know him. And so we need to repent of ingratitude about that. Then here's the third thing that we need to do. We need to remember God's goodness when the tough times come. They will come. You know that. Every one of us in here knows that. There have been tough times that have come. Even though God has blessed us and even though God is good, there are tough times that have come. We live in a world where bad things happen to good people. But we need to understand that 
God's goodness has come to us in the past, and we need to remember that in the times of adversity. Psalm 31 says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men uh, on those who take refuge in you. Why do we need to take refuge, and when do we take refuge? It's when the storms of life hit, when the tough times come. And so then the psalmist goes on to say, In the shelter of your presence you hide them from the intrigues of men in your dwelling. You keep them safe. You see, God has great goodness stored up for us. He gives us goodness. He blesses us with goodness. We need to rejoice in those. And when the tough times do come, for whatever reason, from this sovereign God, who also happens to be a good God, we need to remember those good things. And then there's a fourth thing that I think I would encourage you to do, and it's this. If you understand that God is good and that everything He does is good, then everything that comes to you is from a loving God then here is the thing that I would challenge you the most. And it's this, risk stepping out in faith more often. You see, why does God bless us? He wants us to to acknowledge His hand of blessing in our life. He wants us to grow in our faith and trust in Him. And as a result of that, He wants us to step out in faith. See, I'm not sure what that might mean for you. It might mean that you might need to step out more uh, in managing your money to the glory of God. It might mean that you need to step out in faith and share your faith in Jesus Christ with someone who's not saved. See, it might mean that you need to go about searching for God's will in your life with a greater sense of God's presence in your life and a knowledge of the fact that He has a plan for your life and a purpose for your life, and He wants you to respond to that and do something. And you won't ever know it until you're willing to take a risk and step out in faith. You know, most of the time I think... We claim our faith is basically a security blanket or like a security net, safety net up under the the high wire axe at the circus. You know, we just want it there for safety and security. I want to be saved and I want to be safe. God says, I want you to be saved and I want you to be bold in your faith. And I want you to to step out more in your faith. And, And if we know that God is good and he has blessings for us and he has blessed us in the past, then we know that as we step out in faith, He will bless us. And what does the psalmist say? No good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. You believe God is good? He'll bless you when you trust Him for that. So what we're challenged to do today when we learn more about God and talk today specifically about God's goodness is that His goodness should give us confidence and joy and comfort and strength and hope as we face the future. Say, do you believe God is good? Then what do you do about it this week? Where will you step out in faith to follow him and trust his goodness?